First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, you turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Today is our last day in this series, Jesus in Times Square. After a break next week, in a couple weeks, we're going to kick off our uh, final series, which will carry us all the way through this wonderful book of Acts, which we'll finish up later this summer. Uh, Today's passage is a short one. It's only about 12 verses long, uh, but it is a memorable passage to be sure. And if you are a little sleepy today, uh, you're going to want to stay awake for this story Uh, I can assure you of that, and you'll see what I mean in just a second. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1. We read, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, And embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, uh, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Father, we thank you today for this story in your word. We pray, Father, in these moments that we have together with your word open before us, Father, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. And help us to hear from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, poor, poor Eutychus. Uh, Eutychus, his name, the name Eutychus means lucky or fortunate. (laughs) Uh, In my opinion, this young man was a little bit unfortunate. uh, Because yes, he did fall asleep in the middle of a sermon. But he was sitting in the windowsill on the third floor when he did so. And he fell asleep in a sermon by none other than the Apostle Paul. And probably most of his misfortune, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was in the room to see it all and wrote it all down in the Bible. And that is why we are still talking about Eutychus 2,000 years later. And I'm sure we'll be talking about him for all eternity. Uh, But of course, Eutychus is not the last person uh, who has fallen asleep in the middle of a sermon. I... uh, I remember my, my good friend Dan Carter, who's a part of our church, he was in our first service today, uh, he told me uh, the story about when he was a teenager and he was growing up in our church, Brother Larry was the pastor then, 
And if you were here then, it was over 20 years ago, we were meeting at the old church in downtown Melbourne. Brother Larry would always stand at the back doors of the sanctuary after every service and shake everybody's hand as, as they went out the back doors. And so on this particular day, uh, Mr. Dan walked by and, and shook Brother Larry's hand and Brother Larry looked at him and said, I'm uh, sorry I couldn't keep you away awake today, uh, Dan. And he turned, he turned uh, sheepishly white because he knew he had been uh, leaning against uh, the back wall and had been sawing logs, and uh, not only did Brother Larry see him, but he also called him out on it uh, before he left. Uh, But like every pastor, I can testify that uh, Dan uh, is not alone, uh, that I've seen uh, many people uh, falling asleep many times uh, as I have been preaching. Uh, sometimes, you know, you see husbands and wives, they give each other the elbow of love, right? You know, as they kind of can tell their spouse is about to drift off. Uh, but listen, I, I'm not too hard on, on people who, who uh, drift off during a sermon because, uh, to be honest, I've been there myself. I'm pretty sure uh, everybody here has been at one time or another. Uh, I don't think it means that, uh, that you're ungodly or that you don't love the Lord. It reminds me about uh, of that Bible verse that says, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And uh, sometimes the flesh is weak. Thankfully for most of us, though, unlike poor Eutychus, falling asleep during the sermon is not lethal. Uh, but we will come back to, uh, to Eutychus' story here in a few minutes. But, you know, this passage is not primarily about how to stay awake uh, in church. Uh, if I had to boil this passage down to just one word, uh, it would be the word encouragement. Encouragement. In fact, that word encouragement shows up three times in these 12 verses. In the oldest Greek manuscripts, the word encouragement is there in verse 1. Paul wanted to encourage uh, the believers in Ephesus before he left them. In verse 2, you see the word encouragement again. It's the reason why he was traveling through the churches in Macedonia. He wanted to encourage them. And then it shows up again in the very last verse, verse 12 of our passage. In my translation, it has the word comforted there, but it is the very same Greek word that's there in verse 2 and in verse 1 that can be translated as encouragement. And so this passage is about encouraging from the beginning to the end. And, you know, we all need some encouragement. Life is not easy. The Christian life is not easy. We need encouragement along the way. And so as we look at this story together today, I want us to think about four sources of encouragement that God wants for us. And each one of these encouragements that we're going to look at today come from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the first encouragement. We're encouraged in our Christian walk when we serve together with other Christians. In verse 1, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, makes a reference to an uproar that uh, had happened. And this uproar is what we read about last week in chapter 19. It happened there in Ephesus because of Demetrius and his fellow silversmiths who were upset that so many people were getting saved, not enough were buying their silver idols anymore. And so they stirred up the crowd and the whole city was in an uproar. There was a riot for two hours, if you recall. And it appears that uh, fairly quickly after that event had taken place, Paul came to the conclusion that his three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus was at an end. That it was time for him to begin to minister in some other places. And so he left. In verse 2, it says that he traveled through Macedonia 
He was, I'm sure, revisiting some of the churches that he had planted on his second missionary journey, churches like that in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. But he also went to other cities as well. And we know that because while verse 2 doesn't necessarily give us a time frame, uh, we know from the first several chapters of his letter called 2 Corinthians that this period of time actually was quite extensive. Uh, This probably was about a year and a half of ministry that started in the middle of AD 55 and it went till about the end of AD 56. And so in Acts chapter 20 verse 2, while it's only one verse, there's a whole lot of ministry wrapped up in uh, that one verse. Quite an extensive ministry that he had in Macedonia in that period of time. And we know Paul was doing two things. One, he was encouraging the believers in these churches. That's what Luke brings out. But we also know from Paul's letters that he was going from church to church. He was collecting an offering that he was going to take with him to Jerusalem to the believers there, the Jewish believers there who were suffering through a great famine that had hit them. And so it was a gift from the primarily Gentile churches to their Jewish brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem that Paul wanted to deliver. After that ministry in Macedonia, it says he went to Greece. Specifically, he went to the city of Corinth and he ministered there for three months. Uh, By the way, during that three months is when Paul wrote from Corinth the letter to the Romans that we have in our Bibles, that incredible letter filled with so much Bible truth and Bible doctrine for us. Uh, Paul likely spent the winter there because he was waiting for favorable conditions in the springtime to be able to set sail for Jerusalem. But it says in verse 3 that he discovered that the Jews were plotting against him. And there were some enemies of Paul who did not like Paul's message about Jesus and wanted to silence that message. We're not told what the plot was in particular detail, but most likely they wanted to kill him while he was on board the ship when he had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, but Paul learns of that in God's providence. And so instead of setting sail from Greece, he decides to walk back through Macedonia and to set sail for Jerusalem from somewhere else. And you can see that on this map. This is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. We're not going to cover it in great detail, but uh, we read about how he went through Macedonia. That's the part in the top left corner of that map. Then he came down into Greece, that green section of the map, and he wanted to sail from Greece all the way back to Jerusalem. But again, because of this plot, uh, he decided to backtrack. And you can see how that red line almost doubles back on itself. He goes back almost the same way that he came and went around by land. He eventually came to the city of Troas, and from there he set sail for Jerusalem. You know, one thing I love in these verses is that while it highlights how Paul was an encouragement to others in every city that he went to, it also highlights how other believers were an encouragement to Paul. And you can see that in verse 4, this whole list of names of people who accompanied Paul on this journey and traveled with him. And we know from other scriptures that these names were representatives of the different churches that Paul had planted, different churches who had contributed to this offering. And they were traveling along with Paul, representing their churches to deliver that offering to the church at Jerusalem. But what a joy it must have been, though, for Paul to travel with these folks. Folks that many of whom had trusted in Christ uh, through the ministry of Paul as he came to their city and told them about the Lord. And now they were followers of Jesus. Now they were traveling with Paul. Now they were serving the Lord side by side with Paul. 
And, you know, we talk about this all the time, but the Christian life was not designed for us to do alone. It was not designed for us to follow the Lord as some type of a lone ranger. And the Lord has given us our brothers and our sisters in Christ. He's given us a spiritual family. And uh, one of the ways that uh, we can be encouraged by our family and encourage them is to serve together side by side. That's what we're reading about here. Again, seven friends of Paul are listed there in verse four. Seven friends who traveled with him, who did ministry with him. And I wanna ask you, brother or sister, right now, if you could write down a list of seven godly Christian friends who are traveling through life with you. Seven friends who serve with you. Seven friends who encourage you, that you encourage. Uh, You know, if you can't write down a list like that, then I would just appeal to you to pray and to seek to find those godly friends because they need you and, and you need them. And you can find friends like that in the local church. You can find godly friends like that in in a small group. That's why we stress so much the importance of being in a small group where you can do life together with other brothers and other sisters. You can find them also when you serve. When you join a a ministry team and you begin to serve, there'll be some other people on that ministry team serving with you and you'll build some godly friendships there. When you go on mission trips with our church, some godly friendships will be the result of that that you'll carry with you throughout your life. This is one of the sources of encouragement that God has for us serving together with other Christians. Here's another source of encouragement that he has for us. We're encouraged when we worship together with other Christians as well. In verses five and six, uh, we read that Paul's friends had sailed on to Troas and were waiting for Paul there. But Paul was not left alone. We know that Luke was with him. And we know that because in verses five and six, Luke starts to use the word we again. Uh, He says, uh, we sailed from Philippi and joined them in Troas. I I believe Luke uh, had stayed behind in the city of Philippi uh, probably since the time that Paul had left there. He remained in the church. He remained teaching them and shepherding them, encouraging them. But now Paul had come back to Philippi. And so Luke has now rejoined with Paul and is now traveling along with Paul. They make it to Troas. They join back up with the rest of their traveling party. They also find some other believers there, a church that was meeting there in Troas. And notice what it says in verse seven about what they did. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now this is the first reference that we find in Acts to the habit of the early church of meeting on the first day of the week instead of on the seventh day or the Jewish Sabbath day. The impression that you get here is that this was the normal day that they had their meetings. On this particular Lord's Day, uh, Paul, Paul was there with them as a special blessing, but this was their regular day to meet and to worship together. And of course, we know why the early church began to worship together on the first day of the week. Uh, Revelation 1 calls it the Lord's Day. And they began to meet on the Lord's day because it was on that day that the Lord rose up from the dead and conquered the grave. And, you know, not only do we find evidence in the Bible that the early church met on Sundays, we also find that evidence in some of the writings of the earliest church fathers. Uh, For example, Justin Martyr in the second century wrote these words. He wrote, quote, on the day called Sunday, 
all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because Jesus Christ, our savior on the same day rose from the dead. Another church father, Ignatius, wrote these words. He said, let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and chief of all the days. And if you think about it, we've been doing that ever since. Since they had this meeting on the Lord's day in Troas that the apostle Paul attended, we've been meeting on the Lord's day for 2,000 years and counting. Believers are waking up all over the world today. Uh, praising the Lord on the first day of the week, the resurrection day of our Lord. Notice again what verse 7 says, though. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, when they came together. You know, coming together in worship is something that we lost for a time last year uh, during COVID. Uh, We were not able to meet for about three months together. Of course, we know we have brothers and sisters in different places in the world who have still not been permitted to meet together. I'm thankful that here we've been allowed to do so, that we began having our meetings and regathered for worship back on June the 7th of 2020. By God's grace, we've continued to meet weekly every Sunday since. And I'm encouraged that as every week goes by, I see more and more of our folks who are regathering, coming back for worship many of whom have gotten their vaccines and are now able to, uh, to be here safely. I'm thankful for that. You know, as a pastor, though, my heart breaks for anyone in our church family uh, who has still not been able to be back and be a part of our times of worship. I, I know that uh, everybody is in a unique, uh, different health situation, so I'm not making a generalization here, but I, I would just say uh, from my heart, if I was able to meet with every member of our church and just appeal to them, I would just plead with them, as soon as you are able to do so, uh, come back to the gathered body of Christ and to worship. And, and don't allow this a year and a half almost now uh, to become the pattern and the rhythm of your life, because that's not the biblical pattern. What we see here, the biblical model pattern is to worship together with God's people each and every Lord's Day. Uh, now, they didn't have online worship back then. Uh, I don't think their Wi-Fi was, was, was very good. Um, but, you know, even though we live in a different time um, and we have that option, and, and it is a good option, especially for those who are sick, those who are traveling, have a child home sick, uh, so many different reasons. But I think we can all agree, though, that it is not a healthy long-term option for the people of God. It is not a replacement for meeting together with God's people in God's house. And uh, so I I just pray that as time goes along, uh, that all of our church family would be able to reestablish that habit in their life of the weekly worship, because it is one of the key sources of encouragement that God has given to us. We're encouraged when we meet together with God's people. You know, another source of encouragement is one we actually enjoyed earlier in this very worship service. We're encouraged in our Christian walk when we come to the Lord's table together. If you look at the beginning of verse 7 one more time, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. 
Most commentators believe that that reference to breaking bread includes a common fellowship meal that they would have had together, but that part of that fellowship meal would have included taking the Lord's Supper together. If that's the case, and this is expressly uh, one of the reasons why they were meeting together, that they came together on the Lord's Day in order to come to his table and to take the Lord's Supper. And of course, taking the Lord's Supper should be a regular part uh, of our times of worship because the Lord commanded us to take this meal in remembrance of him. Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, he said that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And every time we come to the Lord's table, we're obeying the Lord's command to do this in remembrance of him. And it is a great privilege. We need to remember that. A great privilege to be able to come to his table not only because we come to the table, but because what is pictured at the table, if you know Christ, is true of you. That his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you. I came across a story this week of a missionary named John Patton who had ministered in the 19th century. And he took the gospel actually to a cannibalistic tribe that lived on some remote islands in the Pacific, just east of Australia. And Patton wrote about the joy that he felt the first time he was able to uh, give the Lord's Supper with these new believers on that island. This is what he wrote, quote, For years we had toiled and prayed and taught for this. At this moment when I put the bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, but now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that would break my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. Oh, what an incredible story that is. We need to remember that when we come to the table that our hands were once stained too. Uh, that we have no more right to Christ. We are no more worthy of Christ than those cannibals were on that island. But because of the blood that was shed that covers our sin, uh, we are forgiven and now we belong to the Lord. Is anybody happy about that? Anybody excited about that? That you belong to the Lord Jesus. And not only do we belong to the Lord Jesus, but we belong to each other. And that is pictured every time we come to the Lord's table as well. We come as one. It doesn't matter what things the world says should divide us into different camps and different categories. All of that goes out the window because the blood of Christ is what has saved every single one of us. And we come together as brothers and sisters and we know we will be together for all eternity with our Lord. Again, this is a source of encouragement that we should not neglect coming to the table of the Lord together. One last source of encouragement in this text that I wanna mention and we just cannot miss today. We're encouraged in our Christian walk when we listen and discuss the word of God with other Christians. Verse 7 tells us not only do they meet together for worship and take the Lord's Supper, but a big part of their time of meeting together on this Lord's Day and presumably every Lord's Day was to listen to the word being taught. 
And in this instance, they were listening to the missionary stories of the Apostle Paul. What a privilege that is. These are the stories that are written down for us in the book of Acts that we've been studying this last year. These are the stories that we read about in Paul's letters to the churches that are in our Bibles as well. And they got to hear these things firsthand. Look with me again at verse seven. We'll read the whole verse this time. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Well, here is Paul. He's about to leave on a long journey the next morning when the ship sets sail. But Paul is not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about the rest that uh, he probably needed. He, he's thinking about using every minute that he has with these believers to teach them and encourage them and share with them. And uh, he keeps rolling all the way until midnight. And then I love how hardcore Paul is. He is so hardcore. Even when somebody dies, literally, in the middle of his sermon, he comes back up and keeps on going all the way until the sun comes up. Uh, he probably started this service around sunset on Sunday night after everyone had finished their, their day of work. And, uh, and so this means that he preached from sundown till sunup, probably about 12 hours of preaching and talking with these believers. And, and notice if you just kind of take an inventory of this particular worship service, right? It doesn't even talk about any music that they had. It, it just says they took the Lord's Supper, they shared a meal together, and they listened to a sermon that lasted for 12 hours. And yet nobody complained about it. I know that we're, we, you know, we're in a different situation today, but you know, all I know is that you know, whenever a certain bald preacher in our church goes a few minutes over, all right, I start to hear uh, you know, people's alarms on their watches and their phones. Right? They start to kind of tell me. It, it, they're signaling to me it's time to, to land the plane right? and, and bring, it to a, bring it to a conclusion. I know what you're thinking too. You're thinking you're not the Apostle Paul. All right? <laughs> he can go for 12 hours. We're giving you about 30 minutes. That's, that's about it. I, I get that. But as it turns out, as riveting and as compelling as the Apostle Paul's teaching and stories were, he did talk too long for at least one member of his audience, uh, this young man, Eutychus. Now, Eutychus was uh, about uh, between 7 and 14 years uh, of age, and he had likely been working the whole day himself and came to that worship service tired. Uh, he, um, well, Luke begins to paint the picture for us in verse 8 when he talks about uh, these lamps, these oil lamps or torches that were there to give them light and of course gave off fumes as well and uh, they were fairly sleep inducing and then you can just kind of picture the scene right this room is probably packed with people as they heard the apostle Paul was going to be there um, it's going on for hours everybody's probably sweaty and dirty from a long day of work and so this is kind of the scene and for some reason Eutychus is sitting in the window we don't know whether he was sitting in the window because that was the only place to sit because the room was so full. Or maybe he went to the window because he was hoping that the cool evening breeze uh, might help him to stay awake. Uh, but if it did help him, it did not help him for long enough. Uh, because eventually it says he was overcome by sleep despite his best efforts. And unfortunately for him, instead of falling into the room, he fell out of the room and fell down three stories all the way to the ground and he died. Now, some have tried to argue that Eutychus didn't actually die based on what Paul says in verse 10, that his life was still in him. But, you know, Luke, again, who authored the book of Acts, was a medical doctor. I don't know what all Luke knew at that time, but I'm pretty sure he knew enough to know whether somebody was dead or alive. 
And he said in verse 9 that he was dead, that he had died. They took him up dead. And so this, I believe, was a miracle. That's the plain way of reading this text, that Paul came down very much like the stories of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, that he stretched himself out, that he held this boy in his arms, and when he did so, life miraculously returned to his body. Verse 12 uh, says that they brought the young man in alive. We don't know if that means they brought him back to his house or whether they brought him back up to the third floor where they were having their worship service. <laughs> Presumably they didn't put him back in the windowsill. I don't think they did that again. But, but this was a resurrection miracle that happened in the middle of this worship service. And you can imagine nobody was sleepy after that happened, right? That, that pretty well woke everybody up. And so when they got back up there, they took the Lord's Supper. Paul kept on rolling, kept on preaching all the way until the sun came up the next morning. And so this story has a wonderful ending to it. It's a story that has a good bit of humor in it. But what do we take away from this story in the Word of God? Certainly this was a unique event. The Apostle Paul was sharing firsthand with this church. But nonetheless, it does remind us of how important it is to hear and discuss the Word of God. Because that's what they spent these 12 hours doing. You know, Paul later wrote to Timothy, these words of instruction. He says, till I come, Timothy, give attention to reading. That means reading a scripture. Give attention to exhortation. That means the teaching of the word. And give attention to doctrine. And so preaching and teaching the word of God are so very important. But this story, again, of poor Eutychus falling asleep in the middle of a sermon does give us the opportunity to think about something that uh, an activity that many of you do at least once a week, if not more than once a week, and that is to listen to a sermon. And even though that's an activity that many of you do once or more times a week, I don't know if you've ever thought about the question, how should I do that? And what is the best way to listen to a sermon to get as much as I can out of it and what the Lord wants to say to me? And so in closing here, I just want to share a few practical uh, suggestions about that question. How should I listen to a sermon? First off, uh, come rested and come prayed up. Come rested and come prayed up. Uh, the truth of the matter is going to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night uh, has a lot to do with how much you're going to get out of any Sunday morning worship experience. And so come rested, you know, give, give, give us preachers a fighting chance, all right, to keep you awake uh, during, uh, during the message. And also come prayed up, ready to hear uh, from the Lord. Secondly, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. I know uh, every one of my sermons, just about, I start with that, that sentence. If you have your Bibles, right, and some of y'all like, go ahead and finish. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, right, now, now why do I say that every week? I say that every week because I hope you do, <laughs> right? Because I, I want you to bring your Bibles. Uh, I know that we put the verses up on the screen, but we do that for the most part for visitors, for folks who are new. Uh, but I, you know, I, and I know many of us have the Bibles on our phones and I, I get that, but you know, I'm still kind of old school. I, I still like to hear this sound right here of the turning of pages in the Bible as God's people are turning in their own copy of the word of God to see what God has said to them and to mark it down and write it down. Uh, that's a wonderful sound to my ears. I think it's a wonderful sound to the Lord's ears as well. Uh, number three, bring a pen and bring a notebook. 
and write down what God is saying to you. You can go back and, and look at that and reflect on that. You know, I have in my office some little notebooks of notes that I took on Brother Larry's messages when I was 11 and 12 years old that I still have to this day. And you can go back and you can look at those messages and things that you've heard over the years and things that God has, has taught you. Um, we don't mention it very often, but right outside all four of the worship center doors, there is a plastic container on the wall that has some note sheets, just blank note sheets that look like that. And you're welcome to take those anytime you come in. Uh, we also have some binders that have been printed that uh, have been made that these sheets fit in. And uh, actually today, in, in a couple of places in the lobby, you'll see some of these binders sitting out on the table. They are free of charge. And uh, so pick one of those up. If you'll use it, and uh, you'll use that as a place to kind of keep your notes together, uh, go ahead and take one of those uh, today on your way out. Of course, it's not, uh, you can use any <laughs> notebook that you want, but that's just one option if you want to grab that today. And you say, well, what, what, do I, what do I write down when I take notes? Well, one thing is to write down the, the scripture passage that was uh, preached about that day. Uh, write down the main idea, what you think the main idea of the passage is. Uh, write down the, the points that you hear, the truths that we put up on the screens. Write those down. But especially write down whatever you sense the Lord is saying to your heart and to your life uh, that he wants you to know. Uh, and then the most important thing we do when we talk about listening to a sermon, the most important thing we do is to listen when I say that, when I say to listen, there's several things that I mean by that. First off, I mean to listen intently and expectantly. To listen intently and expectantly. I know that it is so easy to just kind of start to check out, right, and to, to space out and to start thinking, you know, what am I going to order at Tijuana Flats when I leave here in just a minute, right? So, so easy to start thinking about that, but just resist the urge to do that. Listen intently to what's being said, what's being read from Scripture, and listen expectantly, like you expect God to say something to you, because he wants to speak to us every time his word is open. But also listen humbly and listen personally. Listen humbly and personally. You know, it's, it's also easy when you're listening to a sermon uh, to, to listen to it with a critical ear. Uh, to listen to it almost like you're, uh, I don't know, a, a critic or an evaluator of, of preaching. And, uh, and I, I certainly know there, there is plenty to critique uh, in, in my preaching. Uh, you have been so gracious to me as a church for all of these years, put up with all of my shortcomings. As a, as a communicator of God's word. But, you know, I just want to encourage you as you listen to the word of God, other than listening to make sure what's being said lines up with scripture, we do need to be doing that like the Bereans did. But other than that, to listen humbly, to listen with an eye of, God, what do you want to say to my, my heart? And no matter who the preacher is, uh, we should be able to gather something whenever the word of God is opened and read. And then listen personally. Listen for yourself. You know, it's so easy sometimes to listen to a sermon and to think, you know, this would be so good for so-and-so to hear. Right? If only so-and-so were here to hear this. And it's so easy to do that. But the fact of the matter is so-and-so isn't there. They're, they're not here. But I'm here and you're here. And so we need to listen personally. We need to ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want to do in my life and in my heart? Kind of going along with that, let's listen to the word faithfully and practically. Faithfully and practically. There, there's a couple of questions that we should ask every time we hear a sermon. One question we should ask is this, where do I need to trust the Lord? 
You know, that, that's my goal. That, that's what I pray about before every sermon that I preach. I just pray that when, when we leave from this place, that we'll trust God more than when we came in. That any who are lost in our services would trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And that those who are already believers would trust the Lord more. That you trust him more in one or another area of your life that God reveals to you. So ask him that. God, where do I need to trust you more? Secondly, ask him, where do I need to obey the Lord? What specific area of my life is the Holy Spirit putting his hand on and saying this area of your life needs to change by God's grace and by God's power that we would walk out of here changed? Again, that is our goal, right? We don't come to church just to say, you know, I went to church. We don't listen to a sermon so we can check a box that says we listened to a sermon that week. No, we want to be transformed by the word of God. We want to be changed. We want to live more and more in a way that honors the Lord. That's why we're here and then lastly, church, no matter who is preaching on any given day, let's listen to the word gratefully and joyfully. Gratefully and joyfully. You know, we should be grateful, first of all, that we even have a copy of the word of God in our hands. Amen? That it's been translated into English, that we have the true life-giving word of God in our hands. And we should be grateful that we can read it, that we can study it, that we can memorize it, that we can hear it proclaimed when we gather together on the Lord's day. We should be grateful for that and we should be joyful about that. And I know that we're a, we're a Baptist church and, you know, for the most part, we kind of like to, you know, kind of. Stay restrained and kind of keep quiet. But, you know, it is okay to get excited every now and then. You know that? Amen. Did I hear an amen? Amen, brother. Amen. And, and you know what? Every once in a while, just, just hearing somebody get excited, hearing somebody say amen, hearing somebody say praise the Lord, it kind of helps us, whoever is up here, to kind of feel like, you know, everybody hadn't fallen asleep. And just to make sure that the story of Eutychus has not repeated itself here today. I want us to end that way. If you're still awake right now, <clears throat> and if you agree with what the Word of God says that we've read, and if you're happy that I haven't kept you 12 hours like Paul did, I want you to say amen on the count of three. All right? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your Word. We do thank you that we can read it we can study it. We can hear its truth. Father, I thank you for the privilege of, of teaching your word. Father, a privilege I do not deserve. Father, I thank you for the encouragement that you give to us, especially through our brothers and our sisters in Christ. The encouragement we have when we serve together. Uh, the encouragement we have when we worship together, when we come to the Lord's table together as we did today. When we study the word and talk about the word, Father, the encouragement that we find from each other. Thank you that we're not alone. Father, may we be a church that is eager and hungry to hear your word and eager and hungry to know its truth and eager to live it out, to be transformed every time we have your word open before us. Father, today we thank you most of all for what was pictured and symbolized at the table for the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And I pray for any person here right now that has never yet accepted your grace into their life. I pray today that you would open their heart to faith. They would cry out to you, Lord. They would receive your forgiveness, your grace, your love. 
they would leave this place knowing that they're your son, they're your daughter, and that can never be taken away. And so we thank you for the cross today. We thank you for your word that tells us about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 